Hey, this is Stu at Bitcoin Fi, the cross-section between financial independence and crypto. And today I'm going to share how I plan to invest in the year 2022. If you missed my last episode about my investing history, you might want to go back and listen to that first for some context. I basically just share what I've done in the past and why. And in this episode, I'm going to be sharing what I'm going to do for the next little while. For me, in 2022, the name of the game is Fighting Inflation. For every $100 you have in your bank account right now, sitting in cash, it's only worth $93 compared to the same $100 a year ago. So how do you fight inflation? Let's talk about this in a few ways. This is pretty much my biggest concern about how I'm going to invest next year. The first thing I want to talk about is just your overall income, your job, how you make money. Our household income in the year 2022 should be taking a good step forward. It'll be higher than it has ever been by about 15 to 20% probably. And a lot of this gain is going to be coming from my wife's growing business. It's somewhat seasonal, somewhat cyclical business that does better in the spring and summer and worse in the winter. But it's got a solid foundation right now that we did not go into the year 2021 with and it's going to keep getting better as we move into the spring and summer. The other part of my income growing is from my day job. About the time this episode comes out, I should be going through a performance review, and I had a pre-discussion with my manager a few months ago showing what inflation is. The Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out this calculator, and you can plug in from January until now, and you can see that the inflation on this consumer price index is 7%. And in August, it was 5%. And I showed this calculator to my manager in a Zoom meeting. Now, my manager said that they take inflation into account. And I'm used to getting like a 2 to 4% raise every year just to keep up with inflation. And so if that's the case for this year at this job, I should get a 7 to 8% raise. But if my manager thinks that I'm doing exceptionally well at my job or adding some value above and beyond that, then I am expecting more along the lines of 9 to 12%. I might expect a little bit more given how inflation seems to be accelerating at this point. Now, it may have been dumb for me to show this calculator to my boss and how I'm coming up with this number, but I tried to be transparent and basically show my hand in hopes that my manager could be able to use this calculator for their own advantage and get a bigger raise for themselves as well. So I was very transparent about this in this conversation, and I basically communicated the fact that a 7% raise isn't actually a raise. It's just keeping pace. It's just treading water. You're not actually getting ahead. So depending on the number that they throw out, I'm going to say that if you want to give me a 3% raise, then that would be a 10% raise accounting for inflation. Link in the show notes. Check out this calculator. Right now, workers have more power than they have had in many years. Unions are kind of having a heyday. It's just a really good time to ask your boss for a raise. Now, I'm listening to this book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He is a former FBI hostage negotiator. It's a pretty interesting book. I'm only in Chapter 3 at the time of recording, but it's been really good so far. And at some point, I'll probably put a book review of that in a blog post. But you might want to consider learning some of these negotiation tactics and building a case for why you deserve a raise in the year 2022. And I think you can use inflation to your advantage. Now, another thing you might want to do is start applying at other jobs. Even if you love your job and have no intention of leaving it, that's my situation. But you might just want to see what the going rate is for your skill set, for your work. 
you might be surprised and find out that you're seriously underpaid. It might make sense to jump, and it also might make sense to bring that offer back to your current manager and see what they can do to help you. So I'll share one example that was pretty crazy. Someone I know just switched jobs for a great pay raise, and then after leaving, they went and checked the job board at where they used to work, and they found that the job they were doing has been split into three different jobs, three different positions for the one job she was doing, which just goes to show sometimes how much an employer might be overworking and underpaying you. By the way, this person worked for a local government. This was not a private sector job. Kind of interesting. So whatever you can do to grow your income, to negotiate a raise, to grow a business, possibly job hop into more pay or start a side hustle, definitely keep your eyes open and start figuring out where your opportunities are. Start building your case and start looking at what you can do to optimize your finances. For side hustles, I really recommend the podcast, The Side Hustle Show, and its associated blog, Side Hustle Nation. I have done a lot of these side hustles, and the information there is always solid. Lots of great info and advice on how to get started with some side hustles. All right, so that covers that, your actual income from your job, from your side hustles. The next thing I want to talk about is investing as a way to fight inflation. And I'm going to break it down into stocks, real estate, and crypto slash Bitcoin. First, we're going to talk with stocks. And this is just what I see. This is my own research. Please do your own. None of this is financial advice. But stocks have had a great year in the year 2021. They are up about 25%. That is pretty significant compared against the 7% inflation rate in the last year. But over longer periods of time, a 25% return is not something you can count on. Usually the market averages between 7 to 12%. It depends on the time range that you are looking at. I usually use 7 or 8% as my baseline conservative calculation. Now the stock market is scaring me a little bit. I will share some posts that I saw on LinkedIn that have some pretty compelling graphs and information. Right now there is a ton of leverage, a lot of margin debt. Margin debt is when people borrow against the existing stocks they have so that they can buy more stocks, essentially doubling down, but with debt. It's great on the way up because you can put your money to work twice. But when the stock market takes a downturn, having margin is bad because you're going to lose substantially more in addition to having to pay back some debt. And right now I'm seeing some charts that are showing that the margin debt has increased a ton, and it's accounted for a lot of the stock gains in the past 20 months. There were only two months when the year-over-year percentage increases in margin debt have increased higher than, I think, November. And the only two times it was higher than it is now was February and March of the year 2000, which was right before the dot-com bubble, a big stock market crash in the year 2000. Now, I'm not in the business of calling for crashes or spreading doom and gloom, but I do know that the valuations on many businesses are stretched, and having so much debt backing all of this is not good for when things do turn the other way. It happens every once in a while. We've been in a big bull run for a very long time, and there's a lot of geopolitical risk in the world. There's a lot of economic risk. There's the pandemic. There's all sorts of things going on. So it just seems like if one domino falls, more might fall with it. There's another really interesting chart that is showing some weakness under the surface of the NASDAQ, which is a tech-heavy U.S. stock market index. And what this chart shows is that the percentage of stocks above their 200-day moving average versus below the 200-day moving average is 
showing some serious divergence and some weakness. The NASDAQ is going up overall this year, and it's relying on a smallish percentage of stocks in the overall index. About 35% of the stocks in the basket are above the 200-day moving average, and 65% are below. So the NASDAQ is riding higher on the back of 35%, while 65% are trending lower. The overall index is going up, but more than half the stocks are actually kind of going down. And back at the beginning of the year in January, the NASDAQ was riding up with 80% of the stocks above this 200-day moving average. And that's kind of what you expect. 80% of the stocks in the index were doing well, 20% were not. Now it's 35% are doing well and 65% are not. And so there's some underlying weakness behind the NASDAQ. It's kind of interesting. But something to watch along with the margin debt that is building up. It just seems that things are getting a little bit frothy and I'm approaching that with caution. Another signal to me is Warren Buffett. He is just stockpiling cash like crazy. Basically, Warren Buffett is a value investor. He tries to buy things that are undervalued, that are a bargain, that are a great value. And for quite some time, he hasn't been able to find something. So he's just hoarding cash and it's just piling up these billions and billions of dollars because he doesn't want to buy anything. Nothing is catching his eye. Everything is too expensive. Now that's just his style, but it is interesting to note in the watch what Berkshire is doing, whether they're deploying cash into new investments or not. All right, next up, the real estate market. From August of 2020 to August of 2021, homes have risen in price about 20% nationwide, the largest rise on record. On average, real estate will go up about 2 to 4% a year. So to go up 20% is incredible. Now this is just me, but I don't really see this coming down anytime too soon. And I don't really think we'll see a real estate housing crash for a few reasons. I'm going to list off some of these quickly, but if you want more details, there's a great podcast episode on this that came out in the summer from NPR's Planet Money. Great info, but here are some of those reasons. Number one, zoning laws. Number two, there's not enough homes being built to meet the demand. There's all sorts of supply chain issues. Lumber's way expensive. Everything's more expensive. So home builders are having a hard time getting the materials they need and getting the workers they need to build enough homes. Homes are being built slowly in comparison to the demand for these homes. There's just simply not enough homes being built over the last 10 years. A third reason. Older people are staying in their homes longer than they used to. A fourth reason, there are low interest rates and more work from home coming. It's simple supply and demand. When you work from home, like I do, you want to have a house with a yard so that the kids can play outside and you can work. You want to have your own space instead of being cooped up in a small apartment. So there's just a lot of appeal to leave cities, to leave apartments, and get your own home, get your own home office instead of working in your bedroom like I did for a long time. So due to all these factors, I don't really see real estate going down. I can definitely see it plateauing, hanging out for a little bit, and taking a breather before going up again. So I'm not going to really be investing much in real estate in 2022 other than paying down my HELOC, my home equity line of credit, and just reloading that to reuse as a down payment for an opportunity in real estate later on. I have one rental, and I have tenants in there that are probably going to move on in 6 to 12 months. 
and at that point I'll be able to raise my rent a small amount, probably 4 to 5%. Now the national median rent increase for 2021 is about 12%. Crazy. I only plan on raising rent about 4 or 5%. But I will probably need to do some improvements and fix some things up in the condo. So I might have a month of no income and some other related expenses to get that back up to par for new tenants. But once that's done, I will be able to collect a little bit more. But who knows, they might actually stay through the rest of the year. We're on a month-to-month -month lease right now. Okay, for me, that's real estate. I just don't have enough cash right now to do anything at this time. So finally, Bitcoin and crypto. I personally believe that Bitcoin is currently underpriced. There are about 2% of the world that has crypto and anywhere from 10 to 25% of Americans, of Australians, of some of the more developed nations are already into crypto or have a lot of people that are crypto curious. There are more and more companies, pension funds, CFOs, money managers, hedge funds, etc. wondering if they need to convert to a Bitcoin standard and get allocated as an inflation hedge. They're being squeezed, there's supply chain issues, their workers are asking for raises, their suppliers are increasing their costs. There are potential trillions more in government deficit spending trying to get through Congress at this time, which will only increase inflation. The Federal Reserve is dragging its feet on raising rates to try to curb inflation. They have not even taken the punch bowl away from the economy yet. I am sorry if some of this is going over your head. I need to go deeper on this at some point with Bitcoin as it relates to inflation. But basically what's happening is the Federal Reserve is doing quantitative easing, they are buying assets, and they are keeping the rates low. All of this is good for risk assets like Bitcoin. And also they are printing money, which is also good for Bitcoin and stocks. But if they want to curve inflation, they need to raise rates, and they are dragging their feet on that, and they have not yet taken away the punch bowl to stop the party. In addition to that, I don't care what your politics are, but the Build Back Better plan of $2 trillion, if that gets passed, that is bullish for Bitcoin. That is a $2 trillion ad campaign for buying Bitcoin because it means that the government is spending money they don't have. They're printing more money, and that is bullish for Bitcoin, which is a hard asset, which is a fixed asset. There are only 21 million Bitcoin, but U.S. dollars you can make out of thin air, and that is why your money is kind of disappearing. If you want a little bit more on this, I'm sure you could find stuff about this on YouTube. Uh... Anthony Pompliano is a good resource to talk about this, so is Michael Saylor, and I also touched on this with my interview with Edward Gorbis a few weeks ago. But as more and more people learn about the scarcity aspect of Bitcoin, and it doesn't care about your politics, your gender, your race, no government is in charge of it, no one can control it, and it has a pre-coded monetary policy without government intervention, more people are going to get into it. In the words of Michael Saylor, the next billion users of Bitcoin will pay trillions to get into it. That is just my opinion, just the way I see things. So we've gone over these three asset classes, and here is my plan for 2021. Number one is I do need to decrease some of my debt and increase some of my cash. So number one is paying down my home equity line of credit and other 0% credit card debt that I use for my home renovation. Number two is to max out my health savings account and invest totally tax-free money into the stock market. If you want to learn more about that, I talked about it in depth on my last episode, but maybe I need a dedicated blog post about the power of health savings accounts. Number three, I plan to max two Roth IRAs, but 
not with stocks, with Bitcoin. I just signed up to use Choice IRA, and I'm excited to get some tax-free Bitcoin. I'm going to touch on the power of Roth IRAs a little bit later. Let's move on to the fourth part of my plan for 2021, which is to put 1% into my Roth 401k. Basically, I put 1% in because I don't get a match, but when I do, I want to just have it set up and I can just increase my contributions to get that match and not have to set it up later. So I just do 1% right now. Hopefully, I get a match this next year. And finally, the fifth part of my plan is to make sure that I have a six-month emergency fund for both my rental and also for my own household spending. Okay, so let's talk about the IRAs. I was actually pretty surprised to get my wife on board with this, but we were talking and I was explaining my worries with the stock market at its current levels of valuation and all of the debt circulating and just some geopolitical risk, some weakness under the surface of some of these U.S. stock market indexes. I basically was just like, hmm, if I had to choose between highly valued stocks versus underpriced Bitcoin, which do we choose? And we decided to go with Bitcoin. And I'm going to be using an app called Choice IRA. I will probably do a more dedicated podcast on this, and I will also share a YouTube video about how you can set up your own account and get tax-free Bitcoin. Now, you might notice that I'm big on Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks. There's a reason for this. The U.S. has done so much deficit spending, spending money that they don't have. I don't care what your politics are, but the U.S. is tending to get more progressive over time and to push out more social programs, which will probably push taxes higher over time. By historical standards, taxes are not very high right now. And when you contribute to a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, you're making the choice to pay the taxes on your income today. And whenever you put something into this kind of account, if you see some capital gains, meaning that the price of your Bitcoin or the price of your stocks has gone up, that is going to be tax-free forever. Also, the dividends will be tax-free. And whatever you contributed yourself is also never going to be taxed again. So think of it like this. If your money when you get it is a seed that you're going to invest, you're paying a tax today on a tiny seed. Now, when you do a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA, you're actually getting a tax break today and you're going to invest that money. But when you pull it out in retirement, you are going to have to pay taxes then. So you're paying taxes on the tree. Whatever you put in, you're going to have to pay taxes on when you pull it out. You're also going to have to pay taxes on the dividends that you got paid. You're also going to have to pay taxes on the capital appreciation of that underlying asset in that account. I would rather pay taxes on the seed than the tree. I would rather have more Roth money than traditional money. There's this other issue with traditional 401ks and IRAs that you run into called the required minimum distribution. If you get too much into a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA, you may lose control of your income and your taxes in retirement. Sure, it's a nice problem to have. It means that you have saved up a great nest egg and a lot of money, but there's no good ways to mitigate super high required minimum distributions. So because of this, a Roth IRA and a Roth 401k is the way to go in my book, especially, I would say, if you're 40 years of age or younger. 
just note that if you do get a Roth 401k, whatever the company match is, goes in as a traditional money. It's not bad to have both. It's not bad to have tax diversity. Also, Roth IRAs are way better for anyone that stands to inherit your money. One last thing about the Roth IRAs my wife and I are going to fund, along with my Roth 401k. Now, if Bitcoin goes really crazy to where I think it might be historically overvalued, I can stop contributing to that Roth IRA for Bitcoin, and I can go back to my stock one. So let's just say that Bitcoin shot up to 200000 and I was like, hmm, maybe it's overvalued right now. I'm going to wait for a dip. And let's say that the stock market declined at that point, 10%. I can stop putting money into that Bitcoin Roth IRA and start putting it into my normal stock Roth IRA with TD Ameritrade or with Vanguard or whoever. And I can start buying stocks instead. How it works is you have a limit where as an individual, you can only put $6,000 into an IRA of any sort in the year. So that works out to be $500 a month. So that's my plan is to put $500 a month into my Bitcoin IRA. But if it goes crazy, I can stop and I can switch to stocks. Let's just say that in July, I've put in at this point $3,000 and Bitcoin goes super high and stocks crash. I can actually switch and start buying stocks on a discount and stop buying Bitcoin at a higher valuation. You can have more than one IRA, but you cannot put in more than $6,000 in a year. One other thing with individual retirement accounts is whether or not your spouse works, you can do a spousal IRA and they can also do 6K. So if you're married and if you're below the income limit that the IRS sets on Roth IRAs, you can put in $12,000 if you want between two accounts. Now these are individual retirement accounts. So that would be one IRA for you, one Roth IRA for you with 6,000 and one Roth IRA for your spouse for another 6,000, whether or not that spouse works. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm going to try to explain this further in the companion article that I put out. But basically my plan is to fund the Bitcoin IRA until Bitcoin becomes higher valued than I think is normal based on some metrics that I have. And on the other hand, if stock markets take a dive, I can stop my Bitcoin one and I can start contributing to my stock IRA. The other opportunity I have is that I can increase my Roth 401k and start buying stocks if they take a big dip and I can keep doing my Bitcoin IRAs. So anyway, we will see how that plays out, but as that is my plan. And also note that if there is a huge dip in stocks or in Bitcoin, I could put all 6,000 in in a single day or over the course of a week. It doesn't really matter. But when COVID hit of March 2020, we had the money sitting in our emergency fund. And since the stock market one day was down about 10%, we put some in for my wife. And then over the next week, it kept dipping. It was down now 20%. So we put in another 1,000 for my wife. And then the next week, eventually we got to 37% down. And my wife's Roth IRA was then maxed. We put in the $6,000 in March of 2020, pretty much. We didn't have enough money to do my Roth IRA, so I just kept putting in the $500 a month throughout the whole year. But just know that if you have the cash on hand, you can put it in 
in a very short time frame based on what you think is an opportunity. Anyway, that's my plan for the year 2022. There's one more topic that I wanted to touch on briefly because at this point it needs its own podcast episode. But for my emergency fund, I'm probably going to utilize cryptocurrencies called stablecoins. Some exchanges like Celsius, Voyager, Gemini, and BlockFi are paying as much as 7 to 11% on stablecoins. These are coins that are pegged to the US dollar and they don't move up and down like Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other cryptos. They just stay at $1. So tune in for that episode sometime in the near future when I break those down. There are some pros and cons. There are some risks to these coins. And I will try to do a pretty deep dive into those and explain why I will only do a portion of my emergency fund, but not my whole emergency fund in these stable coins. Because those alone at potentially 12% definitely are fighting inflation really, really well. And if they don't go up and down, it seems like a sure thing. But like I said, there are some risks. There are some things that you need to know before you put all of your available cash into those accounts. Okay, hopefully that all made sense. I'm excited to have some tax-free Bitcoin that I can also self-custody with Choice IRA. Look out for my YouTube tutorial on how to set up that account. And with that, let me know what your plans are for 2022. Let me know if you think I'm missing something or if you want some coaching or a strategy session. And if you got value from the show, please leave a review and help the show grow. I'll be doing that drawing soon and putting it up on YouTube for anyone that left me a review in December. I did have a few people report leaving a review, but the review never showed up. So you might want to check and see if it did show up or not. I'm not sure what's going on with Apple Podcasts, but maybe we'll just have to do this again and give you another chance. All right, that's all for now. Remember that financial independence is doable.